Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Story Podcast. This is episode number 52, if you can believe it, and it's myself, Mark, and I'm joined today by the dark and mysterious Nisha. Hello. Do you like Dark and Mysterious suit you, does it? I like Dark and Mysterious. I'm not sure if I can pull off Mysterious. Like, ah, you can. You're not oversold on these uh, on these podcasts like myself and Party. they got to keep me in the back burner. I yeah, mean, we just wheel you out for special occasions. Yeah, well, because if I'm allowed out too often, then I just start terrifying the kids again. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And uh, This is the great thing about podcasts. They can just <laughs> picture you whatever way they want to. Um that is the funny thing though, we're used to people coming in and we add so much physicality to our stories. Yeah. But that's tough with podcasts. And I've looked at like videoing it, so it's like a YouTube version of the podcast. Yeah. But I don't I don't like seeing myself. Also, then I have two things I need to edit. Oh you, you, it's an absolute nightmare. You then have to look after the visuals and the audio and it's already bad enough hearing our voices back. So, yeah, and like the and we're also sitting here in our pajamas. In pajamas. If if my birthday suits counts as pajamas, then yeah, I am wearing slippers and nothing else. I was going to suggest it needs an iron. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, we're back on the podcast again, and we're being joined today um, in in a fashion by Deirdre will be telling us a story today. Her spirit is in the room with us. Yeah, generally is. She's probably got a webcam set up as well, and she's watching us. I wouldn't be surprised. There's a big difference between your style and Deirdre's style of storytelling. Yeah. And it's it's strange. I could I could imagine there'd be no overlap in your playlists of the stories you tell. It's a weird one because I think me and Dee are actually drawn to a lot of similar material, mm. but it gets to a point where she'll go to find a beautiful story and go, "Oh, this is really beautiful. I want to share this beautiful, nice romantic tale with people." And she's just as depressive as I am. She likes a nice sad ending. Yeah. But whereas I see a story like that and go, "Hmm." How can I make that filthy and horrible and make everyone depressed afterwards? Yeah, I'm listening to those words and I'm thinking about the story that Deirdre is doing. (laughs) It does bring up a thing. There is a lot, because I was listening to you tell a story earlier on to uh, our latest, uh, our newest storyteller who will be making an appearance on the next episode of the podcast. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of relationships between humans and animals and Deirdre tends to take quite... She doesn't address the issue. She says it as if it's the most normal thing in the world. But uh, yeah. you, you, you like to... Oh, I lean into that. Oh, massive. <laughs> but, but it is a funny one. Like, I don't know, I suppose... I remember talking to someone recently about how, for ourselves, we... I mean, as a people and, and our beliefs, yeah. we see the divine in everything. Yeah. You know, whether that is a tree or an animal. And they have as much right to respect. And I think even someone like the Dagda would mm. feel that there would be a tree that is as deserving of, of, of respect as they themselves are. Oh, yeah. Well, like, trees are a massive thing. Like every, they're quite big. Yeah. Massive. Oh, so large. But, um, like, ev- the royal families and, like, the royal centres used to have the Bile, the B-I-L-E, which was the sacred tree of the yeah. clan, or I don't like using the term clan in Ireland, but anyway, no. the, fa- the large, whatever, kingdom unit, whatever you want to call it, they had the sacred tree. And Posse. Posse, the gang, the gang, yeah. West Side represents, but uh, they'd have the sacred tree, and obviously, like, there's also a bit of animal totemism when you got yeah. like with Cuchulain, uh becoming the Hound of Ulster, and yeah. therefore he couldn't eat the flesh of a dog, otherwise his, his strength would drain away. So like, there's a we used to live in a much closer connection with nature and with animals. So it's natural enough that you have like lots of these stories of animals, 
spoiler alert <laughs> turning yeah. into turning into people and becoming brides because it's just as common as you get like they say marrying fairy women yeah. it's all about this wish fulfillment thing just lonely men sitting alone in cottages dreaming of finding somebody who'll actually love them and deciding that I can't find love in the mortal world so maybe that that bird that's swollen blind on the lake will actually want to sleep with me and become my wife yeah the wife be always came second to the sleeping with them, though. Well, of course. That was just the unintended consequence of having slept with them. Well, then I think we're going to have a huge amount to unpack with this story. <laughs> so let's go straight into Do- uh, Deirdre's story, yeah. uh, which is the Swan Maiden. Oh, I wonder what this will be about. In County Clare, there is a beautiful lake called Inishquin, where swans tend to gather in flocks, where birds sing a very sad song, but there is a beauty in the sombre of the water. Many years ago, a man called Connor O'Quinn, a blow-in from County Dublin, but He had a small house in County Clare, quite close to the lake. And the first night he slept in his new home, he could hear soft music playing. He opened his curtains and could see at the lake a flock of swans, large numbers of them swimming in the water. Oh, how they swam in rhythm with each other, heading towards the southern shore. He watched as they stretched their necks, shook out their wings and just walked across the shore. There they seemed to grow taller, removing their black hoods and they were wearing feather dresses. He was amazed that these swans had become a group of graceful young women dancing in what looked like white shift feather dresses. He could all see this thanks to the light of the moon. It was pure magic he was watching in front of him. These girls were dancing and chattering. They were beautiful. But there was one girl, one girl in a feather dress who climbed and sat upon a rock combing her black hair. She turned her face and caught the eyes of Connor O'Quinn. He knew it was his moment. He jumped out of the bed and he was very quiet leaving his house. He had to have a better look. He crept closer to the water and behind reeds he got an even better look at these gorgeous women dancing thanks to the melodies that could be heard from the waves. The back and forth and back and forth made these graceful swans and women dance for the night. But Connor was smitten with this girl with black hair. But the girl noticed the man watching her. She had her feather dress in her hands. It flew across the water and the other swan girls behind her moved in graceful flight. Connor could not get the face of this beautiful swan maiden from his mind. And as these swans left him, 
Oh, he returned home. He had to see the beauty of this woman with the black hair again. He took to wandering down to the lake each day in hopes to see her. Three times he caught a glimpse of her as she sat on the rock by the water's edge, there playing with her hair. Each time he approached, she quickly pulled on her hood and feather dressed and took flight. But there was the day, the day that Connor decided he had to find this woman. He had to find her and make her his own. Consumed with madness and love for this swan maiden, he decided to wake up very early one morning, hide behind trees and bushes very close to the water. He sat behind these trees for the entire day in hopes of seeing the swans returning to the same spot on the lake. He saw the fishes swim down the waters. He could hear all the birds changing their songs as the day went on. When they did appear, he saw the swans appear in their feathered dresses. He watched them how they would move their black hoods. Oh, he was biding his time, waiting for the moment to make his move. There he saw the female, that sea maiden, that fair woman with the black hair. Oh, she lay down her black hood in front of the trees. This was the moment Connor O'Quinn, he grabbed it and held it fast. This time the swan maiden could not escape him. He asked her to marry him then and there and to come live with him in his lovely new home. She tried to dissuade him. You, you would better marry one of your own kind, she said. But Connor would not have it. He asked again, stressing the depth of his love for her. She finally agreed and became his wife. But she had named three conditions to her consent. The first, that the marriage must remain a secret. No one must know about you and I being wedded. And the second, that you must never invite an O'Brien into the home. And finally, that you must not engage in games of chance like that of cards or poker. Dare risk anything, and you risk it all. Connor blankly agreed, his eyes glazed over, so overwhelmed that she had agreed. And what are those three small conditions to what would be a lifetime of happiness for him? He swore that he would tell no one about his lovely bride. He would never invite an O'Brien to the house, and he would neither gamble nor play cards. But Connor scooped her up into his arms, carried her back to the house, and there you'd think they would live happily ever after together. And thankfully, the years they spent together, it was a happy time, for they had two children together, and they grew and for Connor O'Quinn, he had the life he had dreamt of. But of course, Connor had more plans on the horizon. 
he decided to make more of a name for himself. Since he was just a fellow from Dublin, he thought, sure, why not get into the politics of the county? He met a gentleman by the name of O'Brien. Some called him the Lord, others called him the Chief. Others knew him as a very notorious reputation. But as he got to get closer to this Lord O'Brien, he had learned of a tournament that was taking place near Code. There would be horse races and great sport would be promised a great time for all of those in the parish. But O'Quinn's wife begged him not to go. But when he insisted, she pleaded, and with him to accept no invitation nor to dine or invite anyone to dine in their home. Connor, he agreed, and he gave her his word. There he set off for the races. But with all the excitement and all of the drink and all of the festivities that went on, he unfortunately invited Lord O'Brien to dine in his house. The chief came with all the luxuries and gifts to give to the O'Quinn family. But as the wife was preparing a glorious feast, served up on the finest of dishes, Sir Connor was doing all the talking and entertainment with all the guests in their home. For his wife, that with hair as dark as coal, whose beauty shone and shined, she could not say a word. She would open her mouth and smile, but not a sound would come out. For they thought, ah, she's just a foolish wife. We're here to meet Connor. But while O'Brien and... Connor himself, they decided to head into the next room, and O'Brien whipped out a deck of playing cards, and there their game of chance began. But knowing what was happening in that room, our former sea maiden, she had found her feathered swan gown and black hood. She put it on and gathered her two children and carried them all the way to the waters to the shores of that lake and never to be seen in human form again. Sometimes they say that O'Brien tried to take care of Connor, but in the long run, Connor knew what he had done. For if you ever trust someone to keep your promises, make sure they're not some blow-in from Dublin. Deirdre's a way of telling a story that just kind of it's drawn, it's soothing. Doesn't matter how weird the context is. I didn't actually even mind her anti-Dublin sentiment there at the very end. Which, yeah, which is strange. It's strange, strange coming Deirdre's from Deirdre from Dublin. She's one of the few people who's very pro-Dublin in this place. And yeah. yeah, here she is again, sly dig at the Jackines. Not sly very nice. There, yeah, I, I wonder who she, who she playing to. That's a bit of a sellout <laughs> move, as far as I'm concerned. Little bit. Yeah. She's trying to win back the Kerry crowd this week, I think. Ah, uh, no, in fairness, we could we could set fire to, to stuff in here, and the Kerry crowd would still love us. The party has more airtime than anyone else. Well, that's why he has more airtime. Yeah, yeah. To make sure we're not lynched. Don't mess with them. Don't Whereas mess. now, thanks to Deirdre, we're going to have a couple of lads from Tala knocking on our door complaining. 
That is me and Deirdre. Yeah. We're two lads from two lads from Charlotte. <laughs> um, but she has. She, I know we were talking before we listened to her story there about the whole animal thing, and she has managed to address it in quite a, a graceful and beautiful way. And I get that. It, I get that it's a swan. Yeah, yeah. I get it could just as easily be a pig, a boar, and there's loads of them in her stories yeah. as well. And she just make it just as sweet and beautiful. And it's, and it's kind of disgusting. Yeah, it's yeah. It, she does have a wonderful way of making interspecies romance actually seem palatable. Mm. If anything, desirable. I wouldn't go that far myself, but you... Oh, well, it affected me deeply. Affected you Okay. You're going to go... You'd actually pair well with a swan, though, again, because of your dark features and that, you know, I think... I think you and a swan. Oh, I would just be eye arm candy for the swans. Like I'd yeah. accessorize really well with them. But the problem is, I, I'm obviously from Bray, where we have a huge community of swans. Yeah. And like I think that's the thing. Like I've always felt that the people who like write, tell these stories about like swan maidens and marrying them, they've never actually dealt with a bloody swan. No, they're, they're nasty little things. My, my mate, my mate John, his dad. Uh, hi, John, if you're listening. Uh, Big Ed was his dad. Yeah. Is his dad? Sorry, is his dad was attacked by a swan while cycling along the canal one day. Did he survive? Uh, he survived, but he's called Big Ed for a reason. <laughs> he's called Big Ed for a reason. He was, he was a, I know we were talking about this story recently uh, with our newest storyteller, Susie, uh-huh. and they, they pointed out something which was, uh, how did the children look? When you look at Oshin, who's born of born of a deer and the tuft of hair, which doesn't get talked about enough. Not nearly enough. But, not nearly, but also it's nice that they don't point out the physical kind of abnormality ah, yeah. but uh, yeah what did the what do the kids of a, a man and a swan look like horrific I'd imagine yeah very long necks really long elongated necks kind of like pushed out beaky lips yeah big yellow feet big yellow feet <laughs> big yellow feet and um, I'd imagine that like instead of like growing hair under their armpits they're going to grow like little t- downy feathers underneath it actually sounds really nice it's not meant to Oh, I did like that, but I am one for I am one for body hair, hairy pits for everyone. That's oh, what no, I say. Did that body hair is absolutely fine. I just don't want any feathers getting in me. That's true. I don't know what they're getting in me when they're in the yeah, armpits. But anyway, I think we should move along very quickly. Swiftly. But it's usually the characteristics people have of the animal. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's usually the behaviours, and and I know you drew a comparison between this and the lady Gollerus. Yeah. Well, because it, it's, it's that classic tale type. Like, you, you see it recurring quite a lot throughout the Irish tradition of lonely man who can't seem to make it with women because he's the pre-equivalent of an incel. Uh, he falls in love with some woman who's either part fish or part bird because, again, full humans are not interested. Yeah. And, some, and he manages to coerce them into staying in his house because he essentially strips them of their clothes, keeping them barefoot and pregnant in his home for decades until finally they break free and go home. And we're meant to feel sorry for him. Well, that's because it was the stories were written by men, and it's strange yeah. to, to like kind of you know, uh, I suppose male presenting individuals yeah. to, to the outside world, looking as going, yeah, well, you you benefit from that kind of thing, and you're part of that culture. But I think addressing these older stories in a modern tone and a modern yeah. voice, we can look at issues like consent, and it's a dodgy story. But that's I think that that's why Lady of Gollerus is still a really popular tale because. Like stories only survive when they're of use to the community. Yeah. Like we're like we they talk about uh, like the how conservative the oral tradition is. It, it's really not. We're like we will take and discard anything that's no longer relevant to us. Yeah. Whereas that's why I really like Lady Agalaris because it's the way it was told and the meaning that they used to take from it back in the day 
isn't relevant to us anymore. No. But now we can use it, right, as you say, talking about consent, talking about power dynamics between men and women. Like, there's a whole lot of interesting new stuff that we can unpack from it, and that's why it's surviving to this day. It, you know, and it takes a consideration in terms of the language. Uh, again, one of my favourite stories, mm. the story of Lusmore and yeah. the not Grafton. I've gone from referring to how it's always written as he yeah. was a hunchback yeah, to yeah. saying that he had a hump on his back. Yeah. Which is indisputable fact. He had a hump on his back. But yep. you're not defining him by that by calling him a hunchback. I, I even noticed when I've, like, I started retelling that again after we actually visited not Grafton Hill that I was really, really awkward about going, oh, damn, I used to say hunchback. I really don't feel comfortable saying that anymore. Yeah. And also, like, the whole big thing being, and now he doesn't have the hump anymore, being, like, yeah. the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. So I always focus on the fact that, like, he didn't mind that he had the hump. It's that it was so heavy. It, kept, yeah. it made the journey to the market difficult for him. So he wasn't concerned about the physical appearance, per se. It was about just... He couldn't sell enough the, baskets. The inconvenience. He also, he's, he's deemed straight off the bat. Mm. He's a popular character. Everyone yeah. loves him. And it's not, he, the craftsmanship is amazing. And that's yeah. why they're popular and they're kind. It's got, there's no pity or anything in that story. And that is one of the things I like about it. Mm. Is that it is, there, there is no, oh God, poor Lusmore. How is he surviving looking like that? No, it's a, he's a talented man. He's good at his job. His home's heavy. He can't go to the market every single day. Grant. But then in this story now, they use the kind of like the femininity of a swan to portray this woman as beautiful, though I reckon yeah. if you had a good looking woman or a swan, you'd go with the woman. But yeah, they use the aspects of a swan to make her more desirable. I think it's that outsider quality that they're bringing into it. So she like, so like obviously bird, birds are already separated from us by larger degree than even mammal species yeah. and they've got the whole association with water and the air the two elements we're not really comfortable in yeah. so they've got this it's that mysterious exoticness it's about as exotic as you can get another yeah. a woman from another species probably not even properly human much less like actually yeah but the interesting thing as well is that he that starts off with he's a blow-in he's come out he's come from dublin yeah he himself is an outsider yeah so, because you usually have it that like they're an established member of the community when they stumble upon the bride and they kind of are bringing them in, and then you get the whole reaction from the community going, "Oh, hang on now, what are you doing with this one? Yeah, she's outside. She's an outsider. She shouldn't be let in." They're both outsiders this time. Yeah, and that makes a big deal because I think one of the stories you'll probably go through your head there is the one where the, you know, the the young guys hit the swan flying through the air with the stone. Yep. Introduce this woman who is a swan yeah. into the community, and there's the competition, which has one of my favourite scenes from any story ever. The uh, what's it? The tragic death of Dovergal. It's it's the standing on the pillars of ice and snow. The peeing the contest. Yeah, it's a peeing, It's literally a pissing contest. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Like these women of the village have to compete for the affections yeah. of this, this this great leader, this great warrior. But on the outsider thing as well, she's just she's just said to be from Lachlan which was the old Irish way of saying Scandinavia. Yeah. But in it, it just goes, oh yeah, she's over in Scandinavia, she hears about Cúhullan, and then one day she decides she wants to go and marry him. Yeah. So she just turns into a swan. So it seems that we assume that everyone who lived in Scandinavia was just a magical fairy woman who could transform into a bird whenever she wanted. They're strange. I mean, we get a lot of Scandinavians in and they are distractingly magical and attractive. Nisha. Yeah, I've never seen anyone transform into a swan before my eyes before, though. 
Fair. Actually, no. I've, I've no. That's the men, yeah. The women, not so much. No, no, that is true. But like again, coming back to the transformation into animals, it's not yep. always beautiful swans, and it's not always no. seals. I love the, the sons of Turin, where the turning into the pigs. Yeah. The men don't get the beautiful, graceful uh, creatures. No, and like even when you have, say. Um, the two swineherds, yeah. like when they go through various forms, but they're all horrible because like, they're mm-hmm. all in battle forms. And even Fintan McBrogma, he goes through like various different shapes, but it's always like for men, it's always something like nice and masculine, nice yeah. stag, dog, a wolf, a bear. Yeah. Women, it's always these nice, delicate, feminine things like swans and seals and fish for some reason. Yeah, well, what because again, makes you think of like of course the. You know, um, pop culture references like Harry yeah. Potter when we look at you know uh, Patronus. Mm. What would yours be? I don't know. Like for me, I always go for um, Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials and the Demons because I always loved that idea when I was mm. younger. I, I I want it to be a fox. I would love it to be a black fox. Yeah. It's definitely not though. I am not cool enough for that. Are, are, do you, are, do you, are do you, Pikachu is like a, a, a shaggy black dog though? A little bit. It's the shook. Like Tara it's, here says I'm a lurcher and I kind of see it. And she actually wasn't talking about dogs there. She just doesn't like how you hang around the box office. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand. I'm a massive pesterer. But there's, there's certain animals that people always do lean in to go, oh, I'm definitely yeah. one of these. The amount of people I've met who identify as wolves and stuff like that. Yeah, because like, everyone wants to identify as a cool animal. Yeah, I don't. I have not, no, It's unfortunate how it landed upon me, but I don't think a badger is cool. But, uh, I think badgers are awesome, but that's because I used to love Wind in the Willows. It's not even the best character in that, but I would he not is by show. far the coolest character. Oh, in he that, is though. cool. He That's is cool. the thing. I'd like to see that done in a modern in modern language. I would I love to see a new version of that. Yeah, it would be fantastic. But take it out with that time, put it in a modern context, and I'd really enjoy it. Martin but, Freeman would make an adorable mole. Oh, he would. He would. There was oh, actually, came on a podcast recently, and I didn't yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. The, yeah, the, 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 the Alfie menu. He one. is an amazing actor. Fantastic. I hope. Uh, hi, if you're listening, by the way. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, he seems his, in his personal life he's a bit more standoffish. If we're being kind. That is a kind way. I mean, you don't have to make yourself completely bad. But I actually now hope that they're not listening. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, he would make, he'd make a good mole, all right. But uh, in terms of other storytellers, yeah. and we won't run through them all. But is there anyone who stands out as a particular animal? Oh. Let's see now. Deirdre is some type of cat. Some type she is of cat, some type yeah. of long-haired cat. Yeah, Potty, I'd probably go with something like an owl. He is a or bird. A moose. No, I think I think you're right on the right track with an owl or something. He's oh, he's an eagle owl. That's what he That's is. That's too sexy for Potty. He is an At eagle. Least it's lame. He's yeah. got. A, he's an eagle owl with balance problems yeah it's, it, it's definitely an uncoordinated eagle owl very yeah. wise very majestic until you see them in motion yeah that's fair that's fair our newest storyteller cc i'd have to go with something like one of those kind of colorful i'm gonna go to bird again mm-hmm. you know not a little bird. one of those kind of colorful little birds that kind of maybe nods a bit like a bit of a cockatoo maybe oh, yeah, yeah. the hair yeah but i definitely go with some kind of uh, there is a little crest there yeah yeah, yeah i definitely go with that uh, of course, I'd never say it to them directly. Yeah. But, um, and yeah. St- and Stefan's some sort of vole, some sort of oh, woodland absolutely. creature. Absolutely. And hibernates. Hibernate. Definitely hibernates. Definitely, definitely hibernates. Um, okay, to bring it back around <laughs> to the story, to make it relevant, let's give a heaviness to it in yeah. terms of our folklore and, and, and our mythology. Uh, how do you think we could do that? 
Well, I think the other tail type that it's associated with, Curse of Macha. Yeah. I can definitely, because to me, as, as you were saying earlier, we saw Lady of Galarus connections, but all, to me, the oldest version we have of that is the old Curse of Macha. Yeah. You, you have the same same thing, because the, the opening is very like the Lady of Galarus finds the woman, steals her ability to transform, therefore she is forced to stay with him. But rather than the, well, just constantly there as a good wife until eventually she gets a chance to escape. Yeah. This time she seems to actually like the situation. She has kids and she just, the request is that don't talk about me. Yeah. Which and is an interesting one. Because it's normally the other way around where they keep the partner quiet. But this is the partner going, Aird Roddy didn't mention me. In fairness, in the course of mm-hmm. market, he comes home and she's there. Yeah. She's there. She just... like. Just in that. Well, that that's one of the things that I like about the Curse of Macha. Is that's, that your, that's your brand of home invasion. I, who among us here would complain about coming home tired after a hard evening, thinking I'm gonna have to wash the kids, I'm gonna have to cook them a meal, and instead you find a beautiful woman who's already bathed the children, food out on the table, and that night she sleeps in your bed with you. Glorious. Who doesn't want that? I can't find a problem with that at all. There is no problem with that whatsoever. The reverse would be re- weird, though. A woman coming home to see a man going, Ah, love, I've already put the kids in bed. Don't worry, I gave them a wash before you came back. That is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's very... Because you don't see yeah. the other... You don't see the reverse, do you? You don't I see a woman... I hate that that's the case, but that is... Scarily true. You don't and see. I sometimes a bo- get that in here in the museum. Sometimes at the front, because a lot of banter goes on in front of the yeah. museum. Um, it's gonna be strange for those who've ever only experienced us through the podcast. Mm. But at the front, some of the guys, and I'm talking about Tara. Yeah, I'm talking about Tara. But sometimes they'll say something or they behave in such a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how is it? I physically, from the outside, look like I should be the problem. <laughs> And yet Tara exists. You know what I mean? To be honest, I would rather, knowing as much as I do, obviously, I would rather it was me in someone's house than Tara. Um, Oh, God, yeah. I think it would work out better. But from the outside... Perception. You you would be the worst, but God knows what Tara would do. far, I would be the worst. (laughs) No, 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 I don't know. I don't know. That is a toss-up of you two. Yeah, it really, really is. I know who could get thrown further, though, and it's probably me. I'd get rolled. There. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. The Curse of Mac one is interesting though. That is, it's so similar, but the the differences are not subtle. No, and I I love the bit of of him rather than just revealing her identity, going, "Oh yeah, come back to the house for a big massive party." Like, even if you hadn't asked him to do not bring anyone home, that is a big no. Yeah. Like, I think we all experienced it, like, even, like, with just housemates. You're there, kind of wanting to relax of an evening, and then suddenly they burst in, they're all smelling a drink. Yeah. It's horrible. Of course you're going to go and find your swan cloak and bring your children away. I just wonder what the appeal was for her. What was she getting out of it? Probably nothing. I could probably say some very nasty things, but I'm not going to, because oh. I'm going to keep this vaguely PG-13. Nice. going to have to go on one of your Darkland tours. Is going to... Is that kind of going to ex- wind its way into a Darkland tour then? If it's as bad as it's beginning to form in my head, definitely. Oh my goodness. I think we should probably bring this to an end. Cause we yeah, probably, probably wrap it on. discuss that then. Because if you have uh, been listening to the podcast all the way through, congratulations. Because that was a meandering, very non-linear. Animals stayed at the forefront of it, I think, for the most part. Well, that 
was probably because we have too many damn sexy animals. Too many. That too is the many issue, damn man. If you ever read animals. any of our stories or listen to our podcast, no, that's what I take from it. Sexy animals. Like that's like that to me. That's the moral of the story. If you're ever lonely and Tinder isn't working out for you, go to the local lake and you'll find a swan maiden. I think I may have to record an extra ten minutes of this, which gets put up somewhere to accompany <laughs> this. I have so many questions, but for now, guys, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Remember, there's another fifty-one episodes that came before this, or there may even be more by the time you stumble across this. But you can always leave us comments. Please subscribe. Share a story with someone if you liked it. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us everywhere. But you can always just come to the museum business and maybe you'll be lucky enough to get a story with Nisha or Deirdre yourself. Nisha, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's been absolutely wonderful and we will see you all again very, very soon. It's long a follow. <laughs>